namo tassa bhagavato harahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato harahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato harahato samma samputassa homage to the buddha the blessed noble and fully self-enlightened one. So, as I say, this is uh, just really just covering a few major points around um, uh, this practice of metta. Um, the first thing is to understand the, the power of intention and the role of intention in the Buddhist teachings because all the conditionings that we have in the mind begin with an intention. So if you think of anything that human beings have done, it always starts with some intention whether it's the intention to, to, to fly or how to fry an egg. I mean, it turns up in the mind as an intention and then the mind works on it and then it begins to manifest. It manifests as some language or, or some action and so on. So our intention here is basically to develop goodwill. And so long as that remains our you know, main intention, it's actually beginning to condition us. And uh, some of you will know that desire, the Buddha said, that desire was the cause of suffering. So <laughs> the, the English word is a bit foxing because uh, the, the original Pali word, it really refers to those desires that are based on, uh, on a self, on, on selfish, on pride, on thinking only of oneself, uh, on seeking happiness in the world. So it, it's actually a desire based on wrong understanding. Uh, but this uh, this uh, word desire can also translates another word, uh, which uh, means you know a very whole can mean both a wholesome desire and an unwholesome one. So here, the desire to develop goodwill is considered uh, um, is considered beneficial. So, <laughs> so uh, you got to be careful with this intention and desire. And. Um, when an idea comes into the head laced with desire, see, so like you might just uh, think tea, see, cup of tea, it comes up with a desire. Nothing happens at that stage. Nothing has been conditioned. There's no karma. There's nothing at all. But as soon as that thought is empowered and becomes a train of thoughts or becomes a train of speech or an action, then you're producing something in the world. And that's what we mean by karma. So... So long as we're saying, may all beings be happy, and we're actually saying it, and we're meaning it, see, then it's actually producing something within ourselves, something within our minds. And it will affect the way we speak, it's the way we relate to people, and so on. So that's how it works. We're starting right, as it were, the basic uh, psychology of conditioning ourselves, conditioning the heart and mind to think goodwill. That's it. Uh, for those of you who practice vipassana, it's important because vipassana tends to create a very objective stance within us, and uh, <coughs> it's it's that equanimity that we need in order to investigate. But equanimity can very easily corrupt into indifference, you know. And um, I like to uh, tell my usual story, especially for those who haven't heard it, uh, about <laughs> the time I was in a particular monastery, and there was a uh, I was with a monk, and uh, there was a cat, and he'd obviously by now killed the mouse, 
but he was the sort of cat that definitely didn't need a mouse. I mean, it was, it was definitely overweight. So <coughs> I said, didn't you, didn't you stop that, you see? And the monk replied, no, it was cat karma and mouse karma. <laughs> so I said, well, that's fine, you see, cat karma, I didn't say anything. Anyway, I was at another monastery, this completely different time, I can't remember the sequence of how long it was, but I was sitting with a group of monks and a, a cat jumped out and caught this bird. And this monk, as quick as a flash, came up and just gave this cat one hell of a bat and then picked up the bird and lifted it in and realised it had been killed and just lifted it very beautifully by the wings into the air and chanted, and Anichawattasanka, all compounded things arise and pass away. And of course, the, the difference between... And, and that cat also didn't need a bird. <laughs> and of course, the difference was that the, the second monk recognised that his awareness was part of their karma also, you see. Now that engagement doesn't take place unless you've got metta. So no matter how wise you are in terms of your of your understanding of the Dharma, it won't actually it won't actually move engage wise unless there's some movement in the heart as an attitude. Right? Now some traditions like the Zen will say of course that with wisdom compassion arises naturally and it's and I and I believe that's true. But it, I think it's good to just move it along a bit, you know. And that's, that's basically what what Meta's doing. So it's an antidote, really, to indifference that can arise with the pasana. Yeah, just as an aside, uh, a woman came to me and said that whenever she sat, her partner would complain that actually, you know, he felt she was cold and non-communicative after sitting. So I so I said, so what do you do at the end of a sit? Well, just get up. It's nice, you've got to do meta, see? And do it to your partner, too. <laughs> so that you sort of re-engage, you see? So she never came back, so I presume everything was all right. <laughs> Didn't end in divorce, did it? So this re-engagement uh, through meta, through attitude, begins to express itself in our eightfold path uh, into right speech, right action, and then right livelihood, right? So it's something that saturates our lives, eventually. The, the next thing is not to confuse it with other forms of love because we use the word love for everything. You know, you love ice cream, for heaven's sake. It's, um, it's not to be confused with, uh, obviously, with erotic uh, love because that's very specific. You tend to only have erotic feelings towards particular people. <laughs> so, whereas the love we're doing is, is universal. And it's, and it's also not really uh, to do with touching the, the, the essential nature of, of humankind. It's only really working with, with physical attributes. See? I mean, it's got its role, obviously. Same with uh, romance. See? That, that is also very particular. And it's not to be confused uh, with meta. Mm. So romance is a whole set of different emotions and a, different, and a, a type of relationship which is, frankly, exclusive. You know, you can't be exhaust if you're romantically and erotically in love with every human being you came across. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, you'd be dead very quickly. Uh, but it's also not to be confused with attachment. Now, you've got to be careful here because sometimes we think you, we can fall into a rather um, a very negative thing about attachment, but attachments are natural so long as we have a self. You can't, you know, so long as the self is there, there's going to be an attachment. It's just knowing the attachment and knowing how it manifests. So take a, the Buddha loves the image of a mother, you see. For him, it's, it's the mother which is 
know, one way of expressing this metta. Now, it's quite natural for a, a mother to be attached to the child and seemingly necessary psychologically for the child to be attached to the, to the mother. It's part of the, the growth of, of that child's understanding of relationships. Uh, <clears throat> and that, uh, that attachment will manifest with, you know, being overly guarding of the child, uh, demanding the child do what they want to do rather than listening to the child. So in other words, the attachment always is self-centered. Right, which doesn't mean the mother doesn't love the child, it's just got this little kink in it. Right? And it's up to the mother to recognize where that's manifesting, that's all. And then there's the antidote to doing, doing the opposite. But if you're not aware of that, then, then the mother thinks they're doing good, but it's actually uh, can be you know, uh, hurting the child in some way. So uh, we mustn't look upon that as evil. Some people get, I think, a bit confused with that. They think it's, it's evil, but it's not. It's just unwholesome. It causes suffering, but it's not. The intent is not evil. See, this is the point. So, uh, our love, this meta, this universal love, is going beyond uh, that sort of uh, love that manifests with uh, specific attachments that we have, uh, specific relationships rather that we have, uh, be they one of partners, marriage, sons, daughters, mother, whatever. Close relationships will always have that degree of attachment to them. And it's just knowing the, how the attachment manifests that liberates us from it. You see? Um, meta is, you could, uh, you know, what is it? Well, it's, it's basically all the virtues that you would ask of a good friend. Mm? kindness a certain empathy certain caring also to be able to share your joys mm? to help you when you're when you're when you need a bit of help no, it's just a good friend and it's very close to the word mitra which means friend so that's the sort of attitude that we're developing uh, but of course it goes beyond that into love your enemy so don't confuse love your enemy with some sort of emotional delight every time you see them you know, <laughs> Here, here just means not to do them any harm. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good place to start if you hate somebody. <laughs> you determine at least you won't do them any harm. Um, and it also extends uh, to the way we treat objects. You know, just, just, just gently closing the door. Uh, just the way we, we eat, uh, you know, not to be stabbing the plate. I mean, consider the pain of the plate as you, you stab it with forks and cut into it with your knife, you know. And it's that sort of gentility with objects, just, you know, how you, uh, just think how you, you close the fridge door, yeah. catch yourself. <laughs> See, there's no kindness towards the fridge, and it does us such good service. So it's a case of extending that even to our actions and the way we treat objects. When I used to, you know, I began with Zen Buddhism, so we had to treat, uh, you know, all, all our crockery and stuff as it was all Ming vase. See, that's, that's what they taught us. And of course it did bring, it, it made very clear to me anyway how I was just bashing objects about, you know. And of course that, that mirrors a certain hardness, you might say. See? So if we can be gentle even with the simplest things of life, it's like taking care of your pennies, you know, the big ones take care of themselves. So uh, <clears throat> when you're eating, I mean, I'll remind you of this, you know, just take your time and just see it as a process of nourishing oneself, you know, and take care of the, 
care of the plates. Metta is um, one of the main teachings of the Buddha, which, uh, as I say, balances the, the process of insight. And the reason is that it's our basic relationship to the world. So, in the, but by world we mean not only other people, other beings, but as we say, even even uh, objects, even plants, and everything is to be treated in a gentle way. And um, that's our you can call it our default position. That's what we we can return to with ease. And from there, these other two qualities, compassion and sympathetic joy, arise naturally. So, if if you have a a certain you know meta love for somebody. Obviously, if they fall ill or something, the idea of wanting to help them just arises naturally. Naturally, you don't have to work at it. You know, shall I shall I help or not? It's just there. You want to do it, and uh, and if a friend is um, you know successful in something, well, one rejoices in that in that in their success in their happiness, and um, and so method is your is that default position. Uh, so that's why the Buddha puts a lot of stress in in it. A stress to it. These uh, qualities, and we need to add a fourth one called equanimity, which we'll come to in a minute, um, are considered to be illimitables, by which we mean that you know there are a limitable number of beings, so there's, there's no way you can stop at some point and say, Well, I've done enough. And also, in terms of our development within ourselves, uh, it's indefinite. Developing love is a bit like counting. No matter how big your number is, you can always add one. So it's not a case of thinking that you ever come to an end of developing metta. It just grows and grows and grows, you know, until you become a great charismatic leader, you see. And then thousands will follow you, for say. See? I'm trying to develop that. <laughs> Must try harder. Um, they're also called the Brahma Viharas, so the Vihara dwelling place of the highest gods. You see, this is the this is the most beautiful states that we can create within the mind. So they're the most beautiful states that we can create within ourselves. These these particular states, and so the Buddha equates them to the you know to the most beautiful of places, uh, the bountiful heart and the beautiful mind. Equanimity is. Uh, what it's what equanimity is is um, uh, trying to come from a place of non of no, uh, of no judgment. It's like you're completely opening up to the person as they are, and not coming, not allowing judgment to uh, distort your ability to receive what the person has to offer, even if even if it's negative stuff. You see. So that equanimity is based upon a certain calmness and a certain understanding that if you want to engage with people, then first of all, you have to be completely open to them. And that's often a fearful thing for us because uh, we think we're going to be overtaken or, or um, um, somehow uh, controlled if we do that. Um, but in a sense, you can't you can't give a proper response unless you've listened and felt what the other person has to give you, you see. So, uh, when we're listening, for instance, to somebody, 
um, you know, if you ever, you know, if you catch these politicians, I don't know about you, but you can hear yourself saying a lot of rubbish, <laughs> and they're lying as usual. So it's, and it's a case of like you come from these set positions which we never question, and we do it. We're doing it all the time because the judgmental mind is always with us. But it's recognizing that it's there, and then just putting it to the side and just opening up, you see, and letting the other person express themselves into your mind and heart and not feeling that that's a sort of takeover bit. And uh, in doing, to do that, you have to have this position of equanimity. And because you're equanimous, you see, although you're feeling and understanding, it's not, it's not actually entering into you because your base is equanimity. You're not reacting. You're not saying yes, 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 or no, no, no. See? And because of that little gap which equanimity creates, you're able to respond rather than react. That's all. So whenever you're coming from a position, you're necessarily reacting. See? But if you take no position, if you're completely open, then uh, there's a much better way of understanding what the person is saying, uh, what the person is trying to uh, communicate. And this allows for genuine you know, genuine communication, which again is part of metta, you see. So equanimity, and that's what we'll be practicing uh, when I'm finally done, uh, just to develop this very open, spacious awareness. Um, The practice... um, is basically the use of um, a mantra, a verse, or sentences which are meaningful to us. Now, the four, the four um, classic ones, the four usual ones that are used are: uh, "May you be safe." So everybody wants to be safe. They want to be safe from dangers outside themselves, but dangers from within ourselves. Dangers, you know, safe from. Uh, economic crises for a start so it's a, <laughs> so it's a case of recognizing that safety is really the basic platform uh, for human existence everybody wants to be safe you know? when we're safe then we feel we can you know we're free to do you see so offering people safety may you be safe and the next thing is physical health everybody wants to be healthy you know? so may you be well the next one is happy Everybody wants to be happy, you know, free of distress. And the final one is to have a, an ease of living, you know, which is um, uh, which is very difficult in our times. But that's really, you know, something which uh, allows us to have a, a deep sense of happiness if we have ease of living, you know, in whichever way you want to describe that. It could be economic ease, it could be social ease, it could be relationship ease. It's just that, uh, you know, the, the, the ease of living allows us to live in harmony. So uh, it's, partly to do with a, uh, it's partly to do with an attitude of contentment, which, um, you know, is, is more about uh, wanting what you get rather than always trying to get what you want. And it's being, it's being contented with what one has, which doesn't stop one also having aspirations. So this, you know, to be contented and to live in harmony even when the person you're trying to be harmonious with is not particularly you know, in tune with you. The point is that 
you're always trying to find this nice, this, this peaceful, this ease, even with people whom you don't get on with. So those are your, your four blessings. And um, you have to take your time with them because they have to be meaningful in terms of their, their deliberate well-wishings. You know? They're not like when you pass people and you say, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Jack, cheers. Okay. That's it. You know, it's like <laughs> which is just a, a social pleasantry. When I started doing this sort of practice, and I, was <laughs> I went to work one morning and uh, I actually said to, uh, to a colleague who was coming down the corridor, I said, how are you? And I obviously said it uh, in a way that made him think, well, this guy's really interested. <laughs> so he kept me for 10 minutes telling me how he was, you see. And I got late for my, for my class. So, <laughs> so then I thought, no, that's, this is not the time to really ask people how they are. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with pleasantries. It's just that if you, uh, what we're doing here is, is actually really meaning, meaning, meaning it, you see. Not just the passing uh, hello. Um, also, uh, when we're doing it, we're doing it for the benefit of the other, right? Of course, we, we do turn it towards ourselves. But when you say, may, may uh, so-and-so be happy, may so-and-so be well, may so-and-so be safe, well and happy. When, when you're saying that, you're, you are meaning for them to be happy, for them to be safe, right? It's a real, it's not like a throwaway line. So if you can image the person in your mind, it doesn't have to be a strong visualization, you know, and re-establish some relationship with that person, and you, you're offering them that goodwill. Now, whether it touches them or not over space and time, uh, well, maybe, you know, some people say it does. But in terms of our practice, that's not relevant, because what we're doing is just developing the inner heart, see? That's what we're doing. So that when we meet the person, they, you know, hopefully they'll... They'll, they'll, they'll see it, they'll feel it. I'll come to that other stuff a bit later on. So let me just go through very quickly, you know, the because uh, we'll do it as a practice at the end of the evening. So we start with the benefactor, and um, over the first at least half day, you know, try and work with, it could be just one benefactor, you don't have to seek hundreds of thousands of them, uh, but you could actually just go through your life and realize how many people have helped you in your life. And every time you think of somebody, you know, offer them these blessings. Um, it's good to start with somebody whom you don't have any problems with if you can find somebody. <laughs> it, it just helps, you know, to start at a, an easy base and then you can sort of extend it. Um, an uncomplicated relationship. Somebody who, when you think of them, naturally warms a heart, you see. Uh, now, having said that, um, this meta-practice is working even when you, d you have no feelings in the heart, even when your heart, your, your emotional life, you know, is, is dull, is dead, it's not responding, it might be depressed, it might even be bored, you see. It doesn't matter. You keep, as it were, meaning these phrases, you see. And eventually, 
the heart will begin to resonate with those phrases. Now, um, it doesn't mean to say that just because we're practicing metta, we won't be suffering all the hindrances. They'll, they will definitely come up. So there'll be wandering mind. Your mind will start planning. It'll be thinking about past things, future things. It'll be suddenly you're saying, may you be safe, may you be well, and, 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 and you're off, you're strangling somebody. See, then you know there's aversion. <laughs> and you just, uh, then you suddenly fall asleep and you, you're walking around like a zombie and, and then you can't handle it anymore because you're so restless and your mind's all over the place. And then, then you start having doubts, well, this is no good for me, I can't be bothered doing this, it's a waste of time. See, so all these, you know, the hindrances, Mara, the evil one, will definitely arise. But what we do is with these is unlike in uh, Vipassana where we actually work with them, here we just park them. Now make a distinction here between pushing something away with aversion or fear, which is suppressing, which is not doing us any good, or and, and just saying, I'll handle you another time. See? So you just sort of you're just gently parking them, right, over there. And then you you bring your attention back to what you're doing. And then you find that they're all waiting for you next weekend, you see. So, <laughs> so it's not though they go away. But you're not you're not adding any aggressive any aggression into the system. Okay? So you're very kindly, you say, now that's a bit of hate, you know, I see you there, you see. Now just you hang on there for a minute, you say, okay, you know, we'll deal with you afterwards, and you keep back and, and, and practice metta. Now, let me give you an image which, I, which I've got from Asa Gioli, whom some of you may know, the Italian uh, therapist. Uh, he uses it in a different sense, but it's a good image. See, so if you think of the mind like an egg, the bottom part, the bottom part, part is, is all nicely fully developed, you see. So that's our usual stuff. Huh? you know the, the stuff that we've developed both negative and positive but the top bit the top part of the egg is sort of slopes away and needs to be blown out a bit so what we're doing is we are developing the beautiful side of the mind but remember that in so doing we're not treating with the underneath of the egg see that as it were remains untreated but at least the mind on top of this uh, on top of this swamp is actually growing and, and becoming beautiful see and it's, it's a strengthening thing, it's a strengthening thing, so that when you come to practice Vipassana, those of you who've done it, you can actually imbue your, your investigation with kindness, you see. You can actually give it a flavour of kindness as things come up uh, inside you. But for the purpose of this course, uh, we're just going to park the stuff, you see, deal with it another time. Now, sometimes, of course, it is, it does come up and it just, you can't get rid of it. I mean, it's just full in your face. In which case, uh, if, if you haven't done Vipassana, then come and tell me and, I, and I'll give you a few hints before you run away. And uh, if you do, then do Vipassana on it. Just sit with it in Vipassana, you see, and wait for it to pass, wait for it to pass. And as soon as it begins to pass, just park it and start again. And in that way, uh, on a on a longish retreat, you can actually develop this metta with vipassana, and they both actually are very supportive to each other, very supportive. So that's the so we we begin with the with a benefactor, and then uh, usually we move to uh, a dear friend. Again, not too complicated a relationship. Yeah? And then to uh, a neutral person, you can bring in, of course, uh, family. Yeah, you can bring in pets, you know what I mean? Even, uh, dogs and cats deserve a bit of love. Huh? 
And then uh, finally, at some point uh, tomorrow, uh, while you're doing the benefactor, also uh, guide that loving kindness towards yourself. So when we remember a benefactor, we remember the good things they did for us. So we begin by thinking about the good things we've done in our lives. Yeah? And as, as you remember one thing that you've done, which may be just to open the door for somebody, it doesn't have to be some huge heroic act. Huh? As you remember that, then you offer yourself the blessing, you see? So we're building up a very positive image of ourselves in connection with the benefactor. And then we begin to introduce into our practice these other people, uh, those who are near and dear, dear friends, neutral people, the people whom we see probably every day almost on the way to work, you know, uh, neighbours whom we, we see but we don't know. And we begin to offer the same goodwill towards those people. And then we begin to uh, space outwards in a more general way. And we'll go through that this evening. To ourselves, to our neighbours. There you can relocate. You don't have to do neighbours around here. And then to the country, to all people in Europe, all people on earth, and all beings in all directions. You see? So eventually... Uh, the heart is just opening out to develop an attitude so this is what metta is you're developing an attitude of goodwill no matter who stands in front of you that's the point okay. so whatever being stands in front of you there's an immediate good hearted uh, relationship set up from your side towards them and that's what we mean by universal and that's sometimes you get this non-attachment You'll find the word detached used, which tends to be misunderstood. Um, so other people are using the word non-attachment. But all that means is that your goodwill is not dependent on whether you like the person or not. That's all. And then it becomes universal, you see. I think that's enough of that. Yes, very good. <laughs> Are there any uh, immediate questions about that? Don't worry, yeah. I'm, I'm just curious that uh, we don't include the animal, the difficult person, as a stage. Yeah, I will do. Oh, you will? I will do, yeah. 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 In a sense, that comes with the forgiving as well, the forgivingness that we do on the third day. You said um, um, about thinking about, uh, you know, lack of generosity and so on. Do you, do you mean specifically towards the benefactor? When you, you, yeah. you, mean, you don't mean reflecting on, on your good deeds generally, you just mean towards the benefactor? No, what, what I'm suggesting is that I, I might think of somebody who's done me good. Oh. Right, so I then offer that person my goodwill. Oh, right, right. See? And then I might think of something that I've done good. Oh. And then I say, may I be well, may I be happy. So there's a, a connection there. Yeah. And as I say, don't, uh, <clears throat> don't make the mistake of judging your meta by your emotional the emotional value that arises okay 
that can be a big mistake. And the, the other big mistake is that once you start feeling beautiful within yourself, you start doing it for that reason. So you do your metta in order to feel good. So then you become a do-gooder, which is a terrible thing. <laughs> so uh, be careful of that. Uh, take it more, it's a gift, see? So suddenly you're, you're landed with this very beautiful uh, state within your heart, and it's very lovely and peaceful, etc., etc. So receive that as a gift, you see, but don't do it for that reason. Do it in order to develop a good attitude. 